Hey, this is Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com and host of Internal Budget Podcast. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sendscast. Yes, ha ha ha, yes. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tam Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Honestly, it's going pretty good. I just finished up dinner. We made a nice roast, and yeah, now we're podcasting. So, honestly, great day, great day. Excellent, man. Excellent. What kind of roast was it? Was it a tenderloin special uh, kind we of roast? with a cross rib. Just because we were planning on doing a roast, and then we got to the grocery store, and it was fairly slim pickings. Yeah. So we just took what we could get. I still don't trust myself enough to do, like, a a nice cut, like a prime rib or a tenderloin or something like that. Baby steps. Baby right now, I'm mostly working with, like, inside round planks and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're building steps. Yeah, man, that's all you can really do, right? You got to build those baby steps towards making bigger and better cuts of meat. Yeah, so I was happy with this one because it's the first time I've done a paste rub. That turned out to be really easy. It was just, you put a bunch of spices into a bit of olive oil. It makes this paste that you just kind of easily brush onto the roast. It, I thought it was going to be a bigger pain in the ass than it was. Now where, now, where do you buy your cuts of meat? Do you buy it from, say, a Safeway or do you go to, like, Costco? Uh, I've been doing it at Safeway. I think maybe for like a special occasion, I might just, I think there's a butcher near me. Mm-hmm. So I might just see what they have. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, you guys have Costco in Calgary, correct? Of course. Yeah. I was going to have a Costco card, but Ooh, see now you haven't reached full adulthood yet, Tim. If you haven't got a Costco card. Yes. I understand that buying a house would have meant you're a fully, you know, a full adult, but no, the day that you buy a Costco card, is the day you become a full-grown man. But I don't need enough stuff in bulk, right? That's not the point, Tim. So, Tim, we got to talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is Season 4, Episode 8, in chronological order, Episode 85, The Vitaly Abramoff Edition of the Ronald Plunk Sensecast. So, just a little backstory about Vitaly Abramoff. He was drafted 65th overall by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2016. He was involved in the Matthew Shane trade in February of 2019 and has recorded one goal in three games for Ottawa in his career. So, I know with talking about Vitaly Abramoff, one thing that really stands out for me is that I do remember when he came over, I had never heard of this guy. Like, I knew he was just a mid-draft pick. Never heard of this guy before. And I remember the one game that he played for us that year, and I made a comment on Twitter. I said, you know what? I don't know where this guy's ceiling is, but I really like how he skates. He seems to really handle the puck really well. And with a lot of the young guys coming up, like, I'll just be interested to hear your thoughts on where where and if Vitaly Amaroff will make the sense. It's tough because uh, he did have a really nice 2019-2020 season in Belleville, and in the two games they got to play with the Senators, he did score a point. And uh, in eight games in Liga last year in Finland, 
he scored seven. He had seven points, five goals, two assists. So it looks like he's coming along. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes, makes the Senators at some point, uh, especially once you see guys like Anisimov or Watson start to fall by the wayside, and uh, more of those spots get taken by younger guys. Yeah, well, I know with some of the young guys in Belleville right now, and even at the University of North Dakota, like you see the Shane Pentos and these kids coming up. Abramoff, it's going to be a rat race. It's gonna be, it is going to be a rat race, but Abramoff, I don't exactly know. Like, if he makes the sense, I don't know where they're going to put him. Is he gonna, mm-hmm. He's not going to be a top six guy. Because you look at that top six with a lot of young guys, where you have the Stutzlas, the Dechucks, the Josh Norris's, Bathersons of the world. Abramoff, I could see being a bottom six kind of guy speedster very much in the way what would be a really good comparison paul maybe a nick paul i was gonna say if you want to go back i would say maybe even a antoine vermette because vermette was kind of a speed like bottom six speedster for the sens back in the golden years of the team oh for sure the hard thing is it's just that you got a feel for that uh belleville senators team right now although uh Abramov only having one goal, one point on the season hasn't been great, but for seven games, and it's kind of been a shit show for everyone, with the exception of Igor Solokov and Ridley Grieg, who've had pretty decent seasons, honestly, in the early going. Yeah, that's the one thing I really haven't been doing. I haven't been following Belleville. Now, I know they're not playing in Belleville. They're playing out of the Canadian Tire Center right now, but... You're absolutely right. I mean, the Belleville Sens really ha- aren't the same team they were last year. But then again, a lot of their top guys from last year are with the Sens this year. So that kind of makes sense. But it really goes to show just how thin the Sens are in the system right now with the Norrises and these guys making the jump because it's like, well, okay, who do we really have left after, you know, Balser's left, Shalopit got bought out. The Christian Yaros is like guys like that where now it's like, oh, okay, well, who do we really have in the system? And of course, well, a lot the hard of thing though is like you were talking about uh, the University of North Dakota Senators, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a lot of kids coming from that program to fill in the blanks. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. So I too. think it's just Ottawa's in an awkward spot. This year's an awkward year for the Belleville Senators mm-hmm. because they're going to be getting more people in this year too. Because I think. She- I'm not sure how many years Shane Pinto has left at UND. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Bernard Docker or Lassie Thompson come out. I think. And then, like, isn't Thompson, Thompson already over? Pardon? Isn't Thompson already in Belleville right now? Oh, yeah, he is. Sorry. And then uh, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah, if like, Bernard Docker or even Johnny Tyconic tries to come over. Oh, that's still my favorite name in the center. I know Johnny Trionic. Yeah. It sounds like that Keanu Reeves movie from the 90, Johnny Memento. That movie, yeah, kind of. I'm sure I'm probably butchering the last name, but yeah, it reminds me a lot of that. So, Tim, we gotta talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is season four, episode nine in chronological order, episode eighty-six, the Christian Wallanen episode. That should be a good episode because we have our special guest Jackson Schwam from New Era Sons joining us for next week's yeah, episode, yeah. and. Uh... Our boy Christian Rolanin is a hot topic right now. I'm surprised no one has started, and honestly, that person should be me, to start a hashtag free Rolanin. Free Wooly? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think there's. I think a lot of people on Twitter are kind of getting to that point right now where 
Willannon has been scratched. Like, I got to understand scratching Josh Brown, but, you know, you're scratching a Christian Willannon, and yeah, he hasn't been amazing, but is he really that bad of an option compared to the fact that Erica Branson hasn't been scratched, Coburn's still in the lineup? Oh, Brant. I'm surprised Gabranson didn't get scratched after uh, one of the plays this week. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to that when we talk about the games for this week. But now comes the time of the episode, Tim, where I got to ask the all-important question that our listeners love to know. How has your week been going? Honestly, pretty good. Not terribly eventful, but uh, the way she goes. We got a lot more sustained warm weather here in Calgary. And by warm, I mean, we've actually been above zero for most of the week. So, I can actually see part of my lawn now. Excellent. When, uh, so are you saying maybe another week or two, and then you'll be out there like Hank Hill mowing your lawn? Um, probably. Or you wait till April. Start mowing until it actually starts to regrow again. And Alberta has fake summer, sorry, fake spring multiple times, so... Who knows? Oh, so it's uh, kind of like Ontario. I still need to buy a lawnmower. You know, Tim, Hank Hill would be so disappointed in you if you have not bought a lawnmower yet. I moved into the day I took possession of my house. It snowed. I know, but still. I have not needed a lawnmower. I understand that, Tim, but still, my point stands. But also... I'm probably getting a push mower because I have so little lawn. I would barely be able to fit a, a gas push mower, let alone a ride-on mower. Still, have I got to ask, though, have you ever ridden on a ride-on lawnmower before? No, it looks all right, I guess. Honestly, I always kind of wanted to do one of those. I thought that'd be kind of cool. I think for me, it would be like... You know, I would have, like, a couple of Canadian flags on them. You know, kind of like when you see the seniors at the mall during Christmas time where they have the scooters riding around with yeah. the flags. It would kind of be like that. Although I still think of that episode of King of the Hill where they go to that mower convention. Not was it a convention, but it was like a... Um, oh, the Dallas Mower and yeah. Lawn and Mower Expo? Yes, and they go to the focus group. And uh, and Bill likes the lawnmower because it has a cup holder. <laughs> That was a good. Actually, we rewatched that episode the other night. It was pretty funny. So, Tim, it's really great to hear that you have had a pretty decent week overall. I got to talk about my week because I celebrated my birthday on Friday. Cool, fancy. I know this is this is what twenty nine looks like, everybody. Okay, I understand this is an audio podcast, not a video podcast. I get that, but still. No, overall, it was pretty good. You know, it was just one of those birthdays where, and I always kind of feel really weird the last couple of years because I'm like. Oh my god, I'm turning, insert age here, which means I'm getting closer to 30. Yeah, 29, it's 29 Homer, I'm feeling fine with it. It's the Homer chasing Ned's car, and his shirt says 30. Yep. He's like, he's gaining on us, I'm scared. I know. Move his thing. I can't, it's a Geo. But no, honestly, it was a pretty good birthday. Like, I had to work on my birthday, so... It's not so bad. I will say I hate our first cook the that night because uh-huh. so I got a story to tell you. And one thing that I think you may not notice, Tim, is that I don't like to be embarrassed. I don't think 
anybody likes to be embarrassed, but still. So our first cook, who I refer to as Chrome Dome, because he is bald. Uh-huh. So he was telling me, and he was kind of in a frantic mood. He goes, Tay, like this, you got to come out here. Like this juice machine's not stopping. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I go up there, and next thing you know, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, give your attention. I look at my goose. You're a fucking dick. I had the mask, my mask on, and he got the whole school to sing happy birthday to me on the floor. I just scooted away. I went in the back. I was like, I was like, you're a fucking asshole, Mark. Jesus. I'm getting mad at him. It was, it was fine. You know, afterwards, like I could laugh about it now, but yeah, I hated that. I was just like, you son of a bitch. Ugh. But not like the, hey, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Dylan, you son of a bitch. I know. It wasn't one of those. It was like, you suck, kind of son of a bitch. No, actually, I know, kind of rambling here, but no, it was a pretty good birthday. Like I said, the school saying happy birthday to me, our baker made me a German chocolate cake for my birthday, which is really odd because number one, I've only had German chocolate cake once in my life and she's never made a German chocolate cake before. I don't know why I picked it. She came up to me like two or three days before my birthday. She goes, hey, Tay, what do you want for your birthday? I was like, I was a German chocolate cake. And I walked away like, why did it say German chocolate cake? I've only had that once. And I think the reason why I picked it is because I thought it'd be an easier cake to make than last year where I had the ice cream cake, which was frozen solid. And we had to put our whole weight into it just to cut it. And then after work, I went out had a had about three had a couple of beers with uh, awesome. couple of my coworkers, just sort of hanging out. Had a birthday dinner last night. Had a big piece of steak, a sweet potato, which was like twice the size of the steak was. Mixed veggies and cheesecake. Was it a good sweet potato? Very delicious. Had some butter awesome. on it. Just butter. That's all I put on it. I don't put like salt or anything else. I just put butter and just like let it melt. Oh, that does sound good. It is so good. And I had a couple of craft beers. One of them was from Driftwood. I apologize. I can't recall the name of it right now. But this other one I tried, it also comes from a craft brewery in Victoria. And it was a... What the hell was it? It was a barn room or something barn IPA. Now, you know, if you've ever drank like a craft IPA, it's very heavy, very hoppy. Kind of stronger beer. This one was very light. I took a couple of sips. Just looking at it, you know how IPAs are like a darker brown, kind of a orangey color? This one was like yellow. I looked at that and I was just like, this is is weird. This is not an IPA. And I drank it. I'm like, it doesn't taste like an IPA. It tastes very light with a little bit of a fruit finish to it. But it was a pretty good one overall. And, you know, can't really... You know, can't really talk too much about it. One comment I will make, and maybe I'll save this when we talk about the first game versus the Flames this evening. Yeah, actually, you know what? I'll save that because it is a uh, pretty okay. good comment, pretty good story. And It's what we like to hear. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, overall, it was a pretty good week. You know, 29 is not so bad. But I will say one thing, Tim, and I will. You can quote me here when I say this. March 5th, 2022, I will cre- recreate... Brady to Chuck's 21st birthday picture where he walks shirtless out of the bar. That is good. That's going to be 30 right there. Will it have the same impact if a 30 year old's doing it? Yes. Okay. Good to hear. Yeah, man. Because honestly, you only turn 30 once. 
Don't people usually say that about lower ages? So, now that we got that out of the way, Tim, let's talk about last week's episode. Because, you know, last week's episode, I thought was a pretty good one. It was actually a little bit light on content, with Top of the Hour not being as heavy. Some of the games, we were just kind of like, oh, it happened. But I think the one thing that really came out of that is that was our Brian Frazier tribute we did at the start of the episode. And that's the funny thing is that, you know, you and I haven't, like I said in that last week's episode, was that you and I really didn't have much relationship with Brian on social media. We never met the guy. And yet you could hear it in my voice. Like I was almost getting emotional talking about Brian and the fact that he had passed away. Well, it's like, it is kind of one of our own, right? In a way. Mm Mm-hmm. And like I said in last week's episode, right, when we talked to Stuntman Stu, is that when moments like this happen, when it comes with Jonathan Petra or Stuntman Stu, or now with Brian Frazier, is that they're one of our own, and we always take care of our own. And I think that's such a cool thing, because how many fan bases can you think of that would have gone to that length to support Brian, to support a fan who is struggling, right? I mean... I'm sure if you look at other fan bases, I'm, I'm sure there's other teams that could do, that could probably say the same thing. But Ottawa is so cool because Ottawa is, is such a, it's a small community, but it's a small community fan base. And you definitely get that sense, right? And we talked about Bonk Smollett doing the money on the board for Brian, which I donated as part of the Third Level Success cast. I donated $69. Huh, nice. Which got them, I believe, to 20 what was the final number? $27,000, I think, which got them to that. So I was very happy to donate to that. It was pretty good. I mean, overall, and yeah, like I said, episode was what it was. It was pretty good, but I think the Brian Frazier tribute really, really hit it home for a lot of people. Yeah, and one of the nice things is that I feel like even the organization took part. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, because you even saw on their social media pages when practice opened the next day that they all raised their sticks to the, you know, to center. And you saw a lot of really, really cool things that the Senators did. You know, you talked, you saw DJ Smith talk about Brian Frazier in his post game. They talked about him in the, uh, Jesus Christ, why am I blanking? In like a post game interview that he did so it, it was really cool it was so nice to see and i think if i'm not mistaken you can correct me if i'm wrong here tim but didn't parliament then they also say something during one of their meetings that that uh, week i didn't see okay okay i know that you follow it closer than i do so i figured that you would have a prior probably a better idea than i would so mm. made to you know figure to ask yeah. you about that i i, and then I swear i saw ability it. is somewhat li- is somewhat limited too mm-hmm well, Tim, with all that being said, I guess the only thing we could do is to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. I will say one thing, though. I do got to get a new guest chair. I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed, if you listen to the, a lot of the episodes, you hear a lot of no, me moving around in my chair. It's, well, one, I can't really sit down that long because... I have a very, hey, I have a very short attention span, but I also, I find this chair also very uncomfortable. So I'll have to look onto Amazon or one of these sites, get a new desk chair. Something's very, very comfortable. Yeah. Well, as long as it's not like squeaking all hell, I guess. Yeah, and that's what you're hearing. You're hearing like, you're hearing that. 
the whole episode. It's just brutal. Okay, so you know how we talked about earlier in this episode that we had a very light top of the hour for episode 7. Episode 8 is very different because we have a fully, fully loaded top of the hour. And you know, like, we've been doing this show for four years, and I mention this every time that there's a death. I hate starting top of the hour talking about it. Oh, we've got a big one. And, you know, this is one story and one death that honestly... No disrespect to anybody that we've ever talked about on the show, whether it be from Ted Lindsay to some of these other old school hockey guys who've passed away. But I think for a lot of people, this one, this one really, really hit. Walter Gretzky passed away at the age of 82. Gretzky served as an insta- installer and repairman with Bell Canada for 34 years before retiring in 1991. He also made numerous public appearances and was involved in several charities, most notably the Canadian National Institute for the Blind and SCORE program. Gretzky was named to the Order of Canada in 2007 for his contributions to minor hockey in Canada and also carried the Olympic torch during the 2010 Olympic relay on the final day before the opening ceremony. So I don't, so one thing that I got to do a mention about this story, Tim, if you go back and listen to us talk about this up, like this segment, what's the one thing I did not do when talking about Walter Kresge was mentioned Wayne, because you know, Walter Gretzky is a guy who, was somebody who, it didn't matter what you thought about Wayne Gretzky as a hockey player, Wayne Gretzky the person, Wayne Gretzky in general. Walter Gretzky was a celebrity and somebody that had his aura around him just on his own. And Walter it was definitely one of these guys where you talk about the first wave of hockey dads following the Second World War and you talk about the baby boomer generation, is that Walter Gretzky was part of that. And the funny thing is, and I was thinking about this the last couple of days when talking about, when thinking about Walter, is that, you know, when you think, when you look back at some of the greatest athletes in American sports and in sports in general, is that a lot of times you don't know the names of the players' parents. Outside of maybe Doug Orr, because Don Cherry mentioned that on Coach's Corner a lot of times. But think about it. I couldn't tell you what Mary Lemieux's dad was named. Tom Brady couldn't do that. You know, you talk about insert any player here. I couldn't tell you who these guys are. Maybe the Mannings. Yeah, and that's the thing. Outside of like Archie Manning or Ken Griffey Sr. or some of these athletes. Keith Kachuk, yeah. Yeah, Keith Kachuk, the guys who who had their own legacy prior because they were either an ex-player or an ex-manager. But they were just regular people. Walter Gretzky was just a regular guy. And it seemed like, and like I said, it didn't matter what opinion you might have had on Wayne. That didn't matter when talking about Walter, because everybody just loved Walter Kresge. Yeah, and the outpouring of just anecdotes about Walter and uh, ceremonies across the NHL commemorating him was universal. It seemed like almost anyone who had any sort of NHL presence had a positive interaction with Walter Gretzky. And that really just goes to show the quality of the character. It does. It does. And, you know, for myself, like I, like I grew up loving hockey. I grew up reading about all these hockey players. I remember when I was in, 
what grade was that? I think first grade. One of my, my teacher in grade one, at the end of the school year, she gave me one of, and I use the term one of, Wayne Gretzky's biographies. And this is like in between the time that he had joined the Kings and went to the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's probably 91, 92, around there. And when, you hear, when you're reading stories about Walter in those biographies, it, Wayne holds him to such a high level, as a lot of people do. And the... F- crazy thing is is that when he was playing for the Oilers and this is the one that really stuck up for me was that when Wayne played for the Oilers if the Oilers were in a losing streak or they knew that they needed a big win or Wayne needed a big game they called uh, Glenn Sather called up Walter Gretzky and says listen we need you to fly to Edmonton for tonight's game because we know that Wayne plays better when you're in the building and I know in I believe it was the Legends of Hockey series that the uh, biography channel did this is like 20 years ago now is that Walter Gretzky was interviewed for that and he says that he saved all his vacation days when working for Bell because he knew that when Sather called or the Kings called or whoever team Gretzky was playing for Wayne was there mm-hmm. Wayne or sorry Walter was there because they called says listen we need you in the building and I think the other story that really stands out for me in that book was that in the 87 Canada Cup a lot of people tend to forget Wayne Gretzky almost retired after the 87 County Cup. Like he was just He was done. Like he was tired. He was so burnt out because he did all these events. Like he'd been to the Stanley Cup finals. He won three cups. He had all these awards. He had the records and he just looked at his dad and says, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm done. And Walter says, you can retire if you want, but you got to realize you're going to be disappointing a lot of fans. If you do this, because you've got to realize everybody comes out to see you. Yeah, and it's like, that comment gave us 10 more years of one of the best hockey players ever. Yeah, and you know what? I think of 93 when L.A. went to the finals, is that if Gretzky won that, then obviously Wayne was like undisputed, like the best hockey player that ever lived. But I often wonder if that would have been so unanimous if he had won that fifth cup in LA, because think about it. You think of Mark Messier, like, yeah, he had won the four cups with Gretzky and Edmonton, but then he wins the fifth in Edmonton. He wins a sixth with the Rangers. So now Mark Messier is held to that highest standard because he proved that he won without Wayne. Yeah. And then you have Mario Lemieux and Yager doing it in Pittsburgh on their own. That's true. And then, you know, Yager leaves, Mario buys the team, and now Crosby gives him three more. And then we have Ovechkin being the dynamo of that Washington team that Ovechkin's been doing it to a point where he's almost caught Gretzky on the goal metric, which it's crazy to think that throughout our, our short lives, we've been watching hockey giants. Yeah. Starting with the later end of Gretzky, with Mess- the late end of Messier, moving into the Crosby, Ovechkin eras, and... Now we're in the McDavid era. Yeah, the McDavid era, and who even knows what the future has. Like, maybe we will, maybe it'll be the Lafreniere era, or the Stutzel era, who knows. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, because also in our lifetime, you've got to realize, like, the records that were deemed unbreakable have been broken. A lot of people thought Terry Sawchuk's 103 shutouts would never be broken. Martin Brodeur has, what, 132 or something right now? And now we're talking about 
Gretzky's record of 894 goals. Had the season came to an 82-game season last year, Ovechkin would have been in shooting distance of that. Yeah, and to think even this season, we watched a game where two players got close to the point-scoring record with McDavid and uh, Dreisaitl both getting within spitting distance to the point where people were like, it probably will happen this game. Like, that was the feeling around that game. Yeah, it's just a shame that happened against our team, and we talked about that. But, you know, I think for me is that that will always – that would have pained me. I think if they'd broken that record of 10 points in a game against us, but I think there's always a story of, okay, but we were there to see that. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, if they had done it, it would have been like, okay, here we go. We're never living this down. But at the same time, and like, holy shit. Not only was this insane, never-to-be-broken record broken, two guys did it in one game. That's insanity. Back to your point during uh, our recap from last episode, uh, Pierre Polyev, the conservative uh, representative for Carleton and the House of Commons did speak to uh, Brian Fraser on okay. the House of Commons floor. Excellent. Okay. You know, Tim, the thing with Top of the Art for this week, like when Walter Gretzky, it came out that he had passed away, I seriously considered just having him at Top of the Hour and that would have been it. But, you know, I look at a lot of the stories that we would be missing out on this week. And this, oh. and this next story, it sucks that we have another death to talk about because you know how much I hate it. But I think when thinking about this player, this is something that we've never talked about, and that is the Miracle on Ice. Former NHLer Mark Pavlik passed away at the age of 63. Pavlik played parts of seven seasons with three teams, the New York Rangers, Minnesota North Stars, and the expansion San Jose Sharks. Recording 137 goals, 192 assists for 329 points in 355 games. But is best remembered as part of the 1980 USA Miracle on Ice Olympic team. So I do want to talk about one thing here. When talking about Mark Pavlik, is when I was <clears throat> excuse me when I was reading the story about him putting this together, is that they did talk about how he dealt with bouts of rage and. There's the family's talking about how a lot of this could be linked to CTE. And I know you and I have talked about CTE quite a bit here on the podcast. It's really a shame because I don't know if his accomplishments on the ice will be overshadowed by the fact that, you know, he had dealt with rage. He dealt with all these mental health stuff involved with CTE. And I was just thinking, because again, I don't think a lot of people nowadays realize just how significant that 1980 Miracle on Ice team really was. And I think a lot of Canadian fans don't like to talk about it. Because I feel like our, like for us, this well, the Summit Series is definitely more poignant. But this is such a triumphant moment for the American hockey program. And it's funny because it's almost elated to the Reagan years. It's true. I mean, I know I've seen some CNN specials they've done on like that. So eighties or whatever they've talked about. And that's one of the very first things they talk about was that the 1980 USA team. And 
if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think they won that tournament. I think they beat the Russians, and I correct me if I'm wrong here, Tim, but I don't think they even won the tournament. I think they ended up losing that, didn't they? Uh, if I'm not mistaken. See. No, because it was weird because you had to win the you had to win the round robin, but I think they ended up winning the gold. Let's see here. Uh, oh, did not win the gold medal by defeating the USSR in 1980 round robin, not a single nation tournament. Under Olympic rules, they had to win. Uh, oh, never mind. No, they it's... could win anywhere from first to third, but they end up beating the U.S. The U.S. also fell behind their game, last game that they needed to win against Finland, but came back in the third again to win four two. Yeah. So that was a comeback king team. I did. So sorry, I did have a look here, and yes, apparently the Americans didn't win gold. I I'm apologize everyone I, I read somewhere they actually didn't win that so but i think for myself the night you're absolutely right the, the 80 miracle on ice team is definitely overshadowed by the 72 summit series the failures canada suffered in 98 at nagano and then 2002 and 2010 when we won the gold 2002 i think for myself is a i, I don't want to say it's more significant than 2010 because that's so cool that we won that on home soil but 2002, you got to realize it had been 50 years since we won the gold medal in hockey. And that's not just for the men's team, that's for the women's team. And so for the men's side, I mean, you think about it since 19, from between 52 and 2002, what happened in that time was the Russians became a powerhouse. You saw these European countries getting way better. You're seeing that teams were literally not taking us as serious as they were because... Again, they didn't take, they didn't send the NHLers, they didn't send the Gretzkys or the Lemieux or the Bobby Orr's or these kind of players. Ninety-eight was different because ninety-eight. Then you send the NHLers. This is in February where they're in peak game shape, they're ready to go, and Hassa killed us. Then two thousand and two, where really, if you look at that two thousand and two team, the fourth line on that team, I believe, was Flurry, Newendike. And somebody else, the three of them had Stanley Cups, 500 goals, and 1,000 points. That was a fourth line. That was better than most teams' first line. Yeah, the first line on that team, which was Korea, Mario Lemieux, and Jerome McGinley, was unbelievable. Like, just look at the names on this thing. Like, you got Ed Balfour, Rob Blake... Eric Brewer, Marty Brodeur, Theron Fleury, Adam Foote, Simone Gagne, Jerome McGinley, Cujo, Joe Vinovsky, Paul Correa, Mario Lemieux, Eric Lindros, Al McInnes, Scott Niedermeyer, Joe Newendike, Owen Nolan, Michael Pekka, Chris Pronger, Joe Sackick, Shanahan, Smith, and Iserman. Yeah. That's like a who's who of the top players. And like the American team, even though it's like no slouch, it's like they brought in like Tony Amon, like Tom Brassaro, Chris Chelios, Chris Drury. Bill Guerin, Phil Housley, Brett Hall, John LeClaire, Brian Leach, Mike Madonna, Tom Pody, Brian Roplowski, Mike Richter, Jeremy Rodick, Brian Ralston, Gary Suter, Keith Kachuk, Doug Waite, and Scott Young. Like, those are yep. very strong teams. And the Russian team with Abinaganov, Brizgalov, both Bures, Datsuk, Fedorov, Gonchar, Nikolai Abibulin, Ilya Kovalchuk, Alec Kovalev, Yep. Larianov, Makalov. Yeah, and the Swedes were no yeah. slack. Like, no. they had Baslin, they had Lidstrom. 
Forsberg. Like, they had these superstar guys around him. But going back to the one comment we want to make about the AE Olympic team, and I don't know if you ever saw the Kurt Russell movie Miracle that came out in 2004. I maybe saw it once when it came out. I couldn't tell you much about that movie. It was about Kurt Russell was the head coach. Um, shit, I can't even think of the head coach's name right now. Herb, Albert, or Herb Brooks. He was uh, Herb Brooks in the movie where it was just full of college kids. They were complete underdogs at Lake Placid, and they came back to win. And from what I recall, it was not a bad movie, but I think of like the late 90s, early 2000s, like the post, post Mighty Ducks, pre-Goon, hockey movies were kind of an anomaly because honestly, there were not many. You know, after the Mighty Ducks, really, all we had was, you know, we had Miracle, Mystery Alaska, which I thought was not very good at all. I thought that movie kind of sucked, actually. It's a kind of a... We don't talk about the love guru. I I do... Okay, I will say one thing about that movie is that I love one of the critics who reviewed that movie said the funniest part of the movie is when the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. (laughs) That still kills me every time. That still kills me every time. So, yeah, I realized that we didn't talk much about the Mark Pavlik. And the funny thing about him is I looked up his stats because I've never heard of this guy, is that he was a 40-goal scorer in the NHL with the Rangers. So he was no slouch. I mean, if you look at his numbers, like I said, 137 goals, 329 points in 355 games. He was below a point-per-game player. And so that's nothing to sneeze at. And he was a part of the very first San Jose Sharks team. So, you know, the guy has some clout. But, like, going back to what I said, I wonder if his off-ice troubles will overshadow the fact that he was on that U.S. team in 1980. Honestly, they might. Yeah. And it's disappointing. Okay, so we got to give a really big shout-out, Tim, because Chicago Blackhawks defenseman Brent Seabrook announced his retirement at the age of 35. Seabrook, drafted 14th overall by the Chicago Blackhawks in 2003, spent his entire NHL career with the Blackhawks, recording 103 goals, 361 assists for 464 points in 1,114 games, winning three Stanley Cups in 2010, 2013, and 2015, and winning the Olympic gold medal in 2010, as well as the 2005 World Junior Hockey Championships. By the way, that 2005 World Junior team, go look at that roster, guys. Holy crap. The amount of players on that. When you think, like, Seabrook was on that team, Jeff Carter was on that team, Crosby was on that team, Fleury was on that team. Yes, I think Flurry was on that team because they were in a lockout year. Like that, talk about it, just a wagon of a team. But I want to talk a little bit about Brent Seabrook while you're looking that up, Tim, because I think when you look back at the Blackhawks of the 2010s, definitely there's a lot of names that get thrown around. You know, you get your Jonathan Taves, your Patrick Kane, your Marion Hosas, your Duncan Keiths. Seabrook is a guy that, while his name definitely was in the discussion of those players, I think his play on the ice was not as flashy and it wasn't as notable as uh, from an offensive standpoint as say Duncan Keith's was, but Seabrook just did everything right. He did all the little things right. And that's the kind of defenseman you need in order to win Stanley cups. Well, the unfortunate thing is just Seabrook 
in his early career was fantastic, but between injuries and an unfavorable aging curve, mm-hmm. it just got the better of him. And the end of his career was, unfortunately for him, not graceful. Yeah, and I think when you talk about defensemen, obviously, you know, not everybody can age as gracefully as, say, a Chris Pronger or a Scott Niedemeyer or even to Daniel Chara. Now, Chara is obviously kind of a kind of a gray area because he didn't he didn't look super super amazing in his later years in Boston, but still. And you're absolutely right. I do think that there were the injury factors really played, but I often wonder with the aging curve how much of the injuries. And just the miles put on him from those cup runs contribute to that, right? Because, you know, you look at how Duncan Keith has been able to maintain his form in Chicago. And while, yeah, he may not be the same defenseman he was 10 years ago, but the guy is still in the NHL. He's still producing. And, you know, that's all you can really ask, right? For a guy who, he won everything. He He's won everything at the NHL level. So... But I think the big question for me, Tim, and I actually want to get your take on this, because when you talk, like I said, when you talk about the Blackhawks, Seabrook's name doesn't get mentioned. Is Brent Seabrook a Hall of Fame candidate? Especially in in consideration to the guys that I just mentioned. It's tough, because he does have a lot of the, Clout? the hardware. But at the same time, it's like, if you're asking this about Duncan Keith, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. With Seabrook, it's, it's tough. I think he'll get it just because he's a good he has kind of that reputation as a good Canadian boy and he has the he has three Stanley Cups, he has an Olympic gold, I believe. Yep. He has a gold with the IAHF. Like that is that's a lot of international and NHL level accolades that I think it would be hard to exclude him from from the league. And with defensemen I think the thousand point rule is definitely relaxed. Yeah, because you, I think nowadays everybody realizes like not every defenseman is going to hit a thousand points. Like not everybody's going to be Ray Bork or a Paul Coffey, where that's just easily attained, right? And even I think I might be wrong, but Lindstrom doesn't even have that, and the guy has seven Norris trophies. But I think when talking about the Hall of Fame and Brent Seabrook, I think the big thing is that the names that he played with will overshadow Seabrook in terms of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And while, For sure. to me, he kind of has the same kind of thing like Nicholas Backstrom, where Backstrom's a terrific player. When talking about the Hall of Fame, I don't know if he would be Hall of Fame worthy. That's the only thing. And I think he might go down as one of the more underrated centermen. And I've talked about it here on the program. But I don't know if Matt Seabrook, you know... He would get my vote just because, like he did, like I said, he did all the little things right for the Blackhawks in those cup years. But I do think, and I do agree with you, that the unfavorable aging curve and everything that went against him might not take, put him in that conversation. But you know, we'll have to see in the next couple of years whether he's a hockey hall of famer. That's true. That's true. But Second. yeah, if we're talking about like Duncan Keith or Patrick Kane or Taves, I think it's it's an easier conversation. So we're going to actually move our attention to one of Brent Seabrook's former teammates because Chicago Blackhawks forward Patrick Kane became the 100th player in NHL history and fourth in Blackhawks history to record 400 career goals. Kane, drafted first overall by Chicago in 2007, 
has recorded 11 goals, 23 assists for 34 points in 23 games for Chicago at the time of the story. Yeah, it's... For a guy who's known as, like, kind of a pure goal scorer, it's funny that he's kind of only got a 40-60 ratio on points to assists. Yeah, like, he's got... Played 1,000 games, has 1,060 points, 400 goals, 660 assists. I actually thought it would be more imbalanced towards the goal side. Yeah, I thought that too, but I think for myself, I... It, it's weird because, yeah, he's definitely more of a goal scorer, but I think of him more as a playmaker. And I think because of the point total, right? Like you said, like it's not as even when you look at the goals and assists. But for myself, and I always, as a player, I've always liked Patrick Kane. And the funny thing about Kane, the guy's in his 30s and he's getting better. That's the crazy thing. Like, even if you look at the cup years, like, yeah, he put up really good numbers, but in the last three to four years, the guys put up what career numbers with the Blackhawks and they're and the Blackhawks are not a cup contender anymore. Yeah. Like at his age 30 year, he puts up 110 and then 84 points in 70 games. Hell he's, he's at an over a point a game pace in the current season. And yeah, he, he only did that twice before, sorry, three times before the age of age of 28, which is like, Oh, wow. Yeah. But you know what? I think for myself, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Marion Hosa left the team because a lot of the offensive input from the Blackhawks was put on Hosa with Kane being a setup man for him. So I think when Hosa's time in Chicago came to an end, a lot more of the offensive input was then put on Kane to start producing more and more points in his absence. Yeah. What's kind of insane is that Chicago's hanging pretty in what's quite possibly the most brutal division this year. Yeah, that's that's a, honestly a very tough division. But I don't know if I would use the word brutal. I think the North Division kind of deserves that just oh, because... Brutal sh- there's brutal shitty versus brutal cutthroat. Yeah. Because that Central Division... Sorry, no, it's not that Central East, but whatever. Like, when you're playing against... Carolina, Florida, Tampa. Oh, that's scary shit. And, like, you're hanging tight. And then, yeah, it's not like the North where uh, you have the Toronto Maple Leafs and Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, and I... You know, it's, it's funny when you talk about the Leafs and all the bragging they're doing right now. Like, yeah, man, we're top of the NHL. It's like, well, no shit. You're playing in a fucking division where you have us, and then you're playing the Habs like you're playing teams that you can easily beat it's not like you're playing Boston or Tampa like basically it's just Toronto and then Connor Hollebuck and everybody else yeah and then like the east is that's a that's a really strong division too with the exception of Buffalo Buffalo. Did you? I was gonna say. Did you see that clip the other night where Taylor Hall had a fucking breakaway and he tripped on the blue line? No, but that sums up their season. Yeah, I, actually, I will. In defense of Taylor Hall, he was at the end of a long shift. His legs just gave up on him. I really don't know what the hell's going on in Buffalo at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say, man. But I know what I am going to talk about, though. We've got a couple of firings, and it's because of the Ottawa Senators, Tim. 
We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna start off with the Montreal Canadiens have fired goaltending coach Stefan Waite after seven seasons with the team. Waite previously served as the goalie coach for the Chicago Blackhawks for ten seasons, winning the Stanley Cup in 2010 and 2013. Waite will be replaced by former NHLer Sean Burke under the title of director of goaltending. So Stefan. Just want to take this opportunity to thank you for all your hard work and everything you've done for the Montreal Canadiens. We really hope that you land on your feet soon with another job. But with that being said, though, Stefan Waite, you're fired! By the way, I actually didn't even realize that he was the goalie coach for Chicago, so that's kind of cool, eh? Like, we were just talking about the Blackhawks two stories, and I guess you can include this in the third one. So... I don't know what to really say about this one, to be honest, Tim, because I think the last, I, I think as we said more about when Claude Julien got fired in Montreal as a head coach, we're getting other coaches fired in Montreal and we're just like, yes, ha, 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 yes. Well, what's funny about this firing, dude got fired mid-game. Like, this is a, on the same level as that Camilleri trade, mm-hmm. like, 10 years ago when uh, Renee Bork and Mike Camilleri both leave their respective benches because they have been tra- both been traded mid-game. Although it's like, it's funny because Montreal is the story of two goaltenders with Carey Price has been completely underwhelming. Well, Jake Allen has been one of the best in the NHL right now in limited ice. Yeah, we talked about that. Was it last week when we talked about the Habs, or was that the week prior? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was the week prior. Was it the week prior? Yeah, because we talked about that quite extensively. But even though we got the goalie coach fired in Montreal, I think this week proved one thing, Tim, is that the Ottawa Senators don't even need to win games to get head coaches fired. The Calgary Flames have fired head coach Jeff Ward after a season and a half. Ward became Flames head coach in November 2019 following the dismissal of Bill Peters. Ward recorded a 35-25-5 record with a 5-5 playoff record. Former Flames head coach Daryl Sutter was named his replacement for his second tenure as Flames head coach. Now, I know this this be the time of the show where I would yell, you're fired. But I'm just going to say one thing. Jeff Ward, thank you so much for all your time and all everything that you've done for the Calgary Flames. I understand that you took over for such a difficult situation in 2019, but I will say this. Jeff Ward, yes! Ha, 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 yes. And the Flames were a team that were definite. They were starting to sleepwalk since about the start of February. And they had a rough intro. Then you have uh, Markstrom goes down. The goaltending situation's a nightmare. And I'm honestly surprised that Jeff Ward didn't get the hook after Ottawa put the boots to Calgary in multiple games, mm-hmm. including a rather embarrassing 5-1 loss at the hands of the Senators, where the only person who managed to do anything of note on the Calgary side was Milan freaking Lucic. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not surprised Jeff Ward got the boot. The team... They were, to be fair, on like they were on the right side of the expected goals dif- differential. Their Corsi numbers were good, but it's just the team wasn't fi- finishing, and there were too many games where the the team 
the Flames just didn't look interested. Yeah, and I think for myself, while I don't have much to say about Jeff Ward, I was shocked they went back with Daryl Sutter. Because honestly, I think when you looked at... Well, I think in the last 20 years, Sutter definitely is the most successful head coach they've had in Flames history going to the Cup Finals in 2004. But I'm very interested to see how Sutter's going to do in Calgary because his demanding style definitely has a shelf life. We saw that in LA. We saw that in San Jose. We saw that even in Calgary, right? Where by 2006, they were just like, okay, we need to change this thing up. But... And then they brought it by Keenan. And then they brought in Keenan. Like, exactly, right? So, but I think for myself, Sutter is going to be an interesting one because, well, they're definitely going to get a real kick in the ass. It's going to be interesting to see if Sutter has changed his approach because the approach that he had, the approach that Mike Keenan had, doesn't work in the NHL today. And whether that's just like the game has passed them by or whether that's just from the players, like different generations, right? Because now you have to be a lot different with the players nowadays than you did 25 years ago where honestly you could just motherfuck them on the bench and they hate you and they'll go out and win for you. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, I'm glad the players don't put up with bullshit, but it's like, that is a team that kind of needs a kick in the butt because like the pieces there are honestly good. The hard thing is, is are Monaghan and Gaudreau still able to bring it? I'd be more interested to see if Daryl Sutter's going to put up with Matthew to shut shit. Because honestly, you and I were talking about this in our messenger, was that with the potential rumors that Tachuk might be on his way out of Calgary, I wonder if Daryl Sutter might sit him down and says, listen, enough with this weasel shit. You need to get out there and play. And I remember, and even listened to uh, our friends of the Suns call-ups there today, in their episode, they talked about Brady and Matthew, and it says Brady's definitely a physical presence. Matthew's more just a weasel. Where Brady will definitely play physical, but he'll drop the gloves and will fight, like we've talked about here on the show. But I will be interested to see how Sutter handles Matthew, right? Because, again, Matthew, like Brady, has that kind of old-school mentality of how he plays, and it will be interesting to see how he deals with him in Calgary. Well, it's funny because, uh, honestly, I think Brady's probably the better of the two. It's just, poor kid is fucking snake bit. But Matthew Kachuk is still one of the best in the league for just generating those dirty those dirty chances. Yeah. I don't know if I would have gone necessarily to say Brady's the better player. I think because Matthew definitely has the more offensive upside than Brady. But again... I, I say that in regards to the fact that Brady only potted, has only potted 20 goals in the NHL level. Matthew just seems to have that skill set that he can put it put it in and put up like 30-plus goals a season. But you know what? Again, it's it's such a different situation where Calgary, well, Brady, Calgary and Ottawa are so out. different, right? Because Ottawa doesn't have the talent. Calgary does. So I think maybe that plays a lot into it. So Brady's just fucking unlucky, to be fair. No, that's true. That's true. I like can't the even... guy puts like, as far as from where he's getting his chances from and the types of chances he generates, you would expect him to have eight or nine goals by now, mm-hmm. which is more than 
you would expect from Austin Matthews this season. The difference is, is Austin Matthews does have an elite finishing ability, while Brady Kachuk has a good finishing ability, but just can't seem to get it this year. Like, that's your difference. Yeah. So we still got a lot of stories to talk about. So we're going to continue on and talk about Florida Panthers defenseman Aaron Ekblad has tied the franchise record for points in the game by defenseman with four. Ekblad is joined by Keith Yandel, Brian Campbell, and Brian McCabe in a four-way tie. I'm always surprised at just how many good defensemen go through Florida. Yeah, because you think of Joe Vinoski was down there, Jay Bomeister was down there, Ekblad was down there, Yandel... Campbell, they had him at the end of his career. McCabe, they had him at the end of his career. But you're absolutely right. I think because, well, and even up front, right? They had the Pavel Burrays. They had Ole Jokinen. The players up front, and even nowadays, like they had a very young Jonathan and Marsha Schultz before he went to Vegas. Riley Smith before he went to Vegas. Alexander Barkov, which is just so good. Like that guy's so good in Florida, right? So, but yeah, the problem with Florida... And there's been so many issues with the Panthers, ranging from ownership to who's putting the teams together, who's running these teams. But also, it's just, there's a difference between having a lot of good players and having a good team. Yeah. In the eras where Jovanovski was kind of a difference, because Jovo was, outside of John Van Beesbrook, was their best player in Florida. It was just a different NHL where it was the dead pocket era. You could basically win games by playing the trap, which is what the Panthers did. It's what the Devils did. But then you come into the 2000s and Pavel Burry was on an island by himself. And Topertuzzi came into his own game for like seven games or whatever and just didn't do anything. Ole Okunin, which I think Ole Okunin was probably on the pre-playoff teams, probably had the most success because he still had Steven Weiss. He had Nathan Horton. And he had Jay Bomeister, and I think at times, I think he had Roberto as well. Yep, and he had Florida Good. Yep. Yeah, and then, of course, 2016 happened. They put it all together, made the playoffs, and then they said, fuck fuck it, we're going with analytics. No, hold on a second. No, sorry, that's when they were were going with analytics. And then they brought in Dave Talon. And then they brought back the old school mentality. I know. I will I will redirect everybody's attention to the urinating tree he did about the Florida Panthers a few years ago. Because that's honestly very funny. And very insightful, too. And then the, pa- the Panthers this year, they're on a fucking tear. I know. And they have one of our former goalies, too, in Chris Dreiger. Or Chris, no, Dreeter. Dreeter, I think. Goalies are fucking voodoo, man. Because they're all so big. Bobrovsky, $10 million to be the human equivalent of a paperweight. Or a road cone. Yeah. Well, that's not true. A road cone could actually save something if you shot it right at it. But, you know, that's not here there anywhere. So we actually got to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights because they got two players that made top of the air this week, including it could have been Ottawa Senators captain. Vegas Golden Knights captain Mark Stone became the 28th player in NHL history to record five primary assists in a single game. Including Stone on this list are Artemi Panarin, Brian Leach, Eric Lindros, and Doug Gilmore, just to name a few. That's elite company. That's a very elite company. I will say one thing. It still makes me sad to say Vegas Golden Knights captain Mark Stone 
That makes me sad. But also, I don't really like their helmets. I hate the gold helmets that they're wearing. It, yeah, you'll learn to love them. You know what it looks like? It looks like, if you've ever seen the movie Tron, it looks like those stupid helmets they wore in that. Oh, for the light bites? Yeah. Damn. But it's like, at the same time, though, I think Mark Stone is probably one of the best wingers in the NHL right now. And that Vegas team is, they're really cooking. It's just weird how after their first year Cinderella run, just the playoffs have been kind of hellish for them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully this year is different for their sake. Yeah, I would hope so. So we're going to move into the next Vegas Gold Knights story because their forward, Max Pacioretty, has also tied Jonathan Marshall for the franchise overtime goals record with four. Now, I actually did not know this. Pacioretty holds the record for both the Vegas Gold Knights and the Montreal Canadiens. I did not realize that. I, You know, when you talk about these original six teams, like the Red Wings or the Bruins or the Leafs, I'm always shocked that it's the guys nowadays that hold those records, not the guys from like 50 years ago. Like, But I was thinking about it with the Habs because we're talking about the Habs of the 50s. They didn't have overtime. Or if they did, it was a very limited overtime. Then you had the Habs of the 70s, which never went to overtime. They basically won by like five goals. Yeah. So that part I'm not surprised. But again, I, I'm always kind of surprised when I hear the more recent players hold the record for overtime goals. Although I will say one cool thing, though. I actually learned that Jeff O'Neill holds the record for the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> In over TSN Funny Man? Yes. Our good friend Jamie McLennan's co-host on Overdrive. Nice. Yeah. Honestly, Pacioretty is one of those guys that, again, I would have never guessed that he would have held it. I th- I would have, I could agree, I would, I, I can't believe that Jonathan Marshall would hold it, not because it's Patches, but that's still pretty cool though. That is, that is very, very cool that he holds the record for four, but... Actually, no, I don't even have a buck for that, man. Like, that's just such a cool story. Yeah, no kidding. And to hold it for two teams? I know. Now we got now we're moving on to the Washington Capitals portion of Top of the Hour because Washington Capitals forward Nicholas Backstrom recorded his 700th assist versus the Boston Bruins. Backstrom, drafted fourth overall in 2006, has 10 goals, 16 assists for 26 points in 23 games for Washington at the time of the story. So I don't know if you really want to go too deep into this, because I think we already made our mention about Backstrom in this episode this evening, that we talked about how, we talked about the Hockey Hall of Fame, like he would definitely be a big maybe. And I think maybe in 10 years, we might look at him as the more underrated centerman in the NHL. But also, I'm not surprised he hit 700 assists because of the next player that we're going to be talking about too. Yeah, but we're talking about the next player for the wrong reasons. Yeah, well, let's get talking to it, Tim. Washington Capitals captain Alex Ovechkin has been fined $5,000. Now, here's my favorite term at top of the air. The maximum allowable under the CBA for spearing Boston Bruins forward Trent Frederick. Ovechkin is not a repeat offender. I'm not going to disagree with this. You spear a guy in the nuts, that's a fine. I get that Frederick had pissed him off because Frederick 
was running them all game and he finally lost it. But still. That that's a fine right there. Honestly, that game was that was a goony game. Like what the hell was going on? Yeah, well definitely when we talk about this story. Wash this was the big Big news story for this week, Tim. Washington Capitals forward Tom Wilson has been suspended. Seven games for boarding. Boston Bruins defenseman Brandon Carlo. Wilson, repeat offender, has been suspended three previous times, with this one being his fourth in 105 games. Seven games? That's all he got? Really? That's almost a quarter of the season. True, but... Still, Sorry, I mean that's almost a, a fifth of the season. But like, still, like that's a big suspension. It's a big suspension, but still, I'm surprised that he only got seven. Like when you have been sus- think about this in a regular length season, that'd be the equivalent of a 15 game suspension. Well, true, but looking past the fact that we're in a condensed season, though, I think you have to consider it's a condensed season because these games matter more because there's fewer games. This is a big fucking suspension because that was a goony hit. Uh, you know what? And Wilson is absolutely one of the most polarizing players for the wrong reasons. Kind of like what Brad Marchant was 10 years ago where very, very questionable hits and fans were very split on him. Wilson's definitely that guy. And for myself, I'm not a fan of Tom Wilson. I'm not a fan of the hits that he throws, especially that one where... I hate those plays where there's always the argument that yes, the defenseman was let, was un like in a vulnerable position, but you don't take a run at a guy when he's like that. Well, here's the thing though: like Wilson had time to abort the hit. Yeah, like that's the difference between the Wilson hit and the Griva hit. Wilson had time to abort and push didn't and rammed his head into the stanchion basically. Well, Eric Griva, he didn't have time to abort when Diaz became compromised. Sorry, no, when Lars Eller became compromised. And that's what I hate about this hit, is this is a hit where there what I think you could infer an intent danger. You know... I have no problem with the length of this, because it's... You're taking him out for a significant chunk of the season. Yeah, that's true. That is true, but... I don't know, I... That's tough. I, I still, I watch that hit and I'm just like, I hate those kind of hits because honestly, you're absolutely right. There's a, there's always that intent to injure a guy when you do something like that. And that's why I hate those hits. And you're absolutely right. Like, there's such a difference between Griba did it and when he, Wilson did it. Lars Eller was coming up the ice. The only thing was, is that he turned his head and then turned around and there was Griba right there. Yeah. And Griba had no time to abort. No. Wilson had time to abort. And, like, I'm not even saying that with the... with, like, the uh, benefit of hindsight and slow motion. The defenseman was on the boards, getting the puck out, and Wilson accelerated. Yep. That's fucked up. Yeah. It, it is super fucked up, and you know what? I can't even argue that hit, because it was dirty. I do agree that he was suspended, but... There's not too much I can really add on that one. So, Tim, I know that we've spent this whole time talking about other teams. I think we should talk about the team that really matters for this podcast, the Ottawa Senators. Because we got two Ottawa Senators stories to close out top of the hour. 
For Ottawa Senators forward Drake Batherson tied the Senators franchise record for longest goal streak at six games. Batherson is joined by four other players on this list, including Jason Spezza, Danny Heatley, Daniel Offertson, and the true superstar of them all, Bob Kudwelski. Man, Batherson is he is such a game player. And what's nice is he's kind of running around what you would expect from his talent profile. So this is sustainable. I think it's fair to say <coughs> that me. not only has Batherson arrived, man, does he look good. He and do- I'm glad that he's able to get his name into the record book. And I think, I think Batherson's going to be here for some time. He is. And you know, when I was looking at that list of players, one guy I was surprised that wasn't on that list is Alexi Ashen. Because again, I've, like I said, the last couple of weeks, like Batherson just, if you were to ISO cam Drake Batherson and ISO cammed Alexei Yashin 20 some years ago, you probably would never tell them apart. Because they look so similar and not just because they were 19 and they're right out of shots. Well, the other thing is, it's been so long since Ottawa's had a proper sniper. Yeah, and a proper sniper that hasn't gotten injured. Yeah. And the other thing is just, we're going to be talking about the other component here. Him and Stutz look so good together. And like, what's nice is they will set each other up. So it's not just a one, Batherson's not like a one, he's not a one-dimensional player. He plays really strong. He's got great hockey IQ. And just the poise and finish. Oh, so good. Like, I think Batherson's going to be a fixture of Ottawa's top six, maybe even top line for years to come. Yeah. I, I will say one comment about what you were just saying there, Tim, because you're talking about Batherson and Stutzla together. Don't you mean Batherson and Tim Stutzla? I'm sorry, he didn't score this week, so I figured I had to get that in. And also, we're going to close out top of there talking about him. Ottawa Senators forward Tim Stutzla has been named NHL Rookie of the Month for February of 2021. Stutzla, who recorded three goals, seven assists for 10 points in 14 games, is the first Sens rookie since Ray Emery in March of 2006 to be named Rookie of the Month. Quite honest with you, kind of surprised that Emery was the last guy who got named. Because when I was looking back at that, because yeah. I would have thought Mark Stone would have done it in 2015. Because remember when they went on the Hamburglar run, like Mark Stone came up huge for us. In the, yeah. I'm amazed that Stone wasn't named, but also you got to realize how huge this is going to be for Tim Stutzla in the Calder conversation at the end of the season. Because honestly, we've talked about it here. How is it that every NHL team head coach has talked about Tim Stutzla and we haven't? Like easily, he has been, he's been the single most talented 19-year-old kid we've had since probably Alexei Yashin or Alexander Deck. Either that or Carlson. Even that, though. I, yeah, he was very talented, but I don't know if I would go as far to say Carlson. Carlson is definitely, I would put him below those guys. Because when you think of guys who just come in 
and look ready. Carlson at times did not look ready. Carlson looked like they threw him into the deep end and see if he could swim. And I was going to say, like, maybe an, an Alfredson, but Alfie was like 22, 23 when he came over to North America. But yeah, Tim Stutzla, this kid's 19 years old. He looks this guy. He looks this ready. And yet, we as a team are not talking about him. We're not hyping this guy up because why is it everybody else is hyping Stutzla up and we're not? that's kind of the problem. It's not like we have back in the nineties where we had Yashin and Dag. It's like, okay, well, which one of those two do you pump up? Cause they were pumping Dag over Yashin. And that's probably played into why Yashin left in 2001. So I don't understand well, I that. I, it's hard because it's like, I realized that we don't really follow. Like, we follow obviously the team on social media, but we're not in the Ottawa area. So we're not fully seeing the extent of what they're doing. But I think it's tough when there's like not fans, fans in the seats and stuff. And to be perfectly honest, all of the young guys have been really good. And if everyone else is pumping up Stutzla, maybe it's fair for the Senators organization to be pumping up guys who deserve recognition but aren't get, getting it as much on the broader stage, like a Drake Batherson, like a Brady Kachuk, like a Colin White. That is fair. That is fair, but I think the thing is, is that <clears throat> Tchuk is in his third season. Batherson's not eligible to win Rookie of the Year. Honestly, the one That's of two, true. That's the true. Tw- the only two guys who are eligible right now is Stutzla and Josh Norris. How uh, Josh Josh Norris? There's another guy that I think if he was to win Rookie of the Year, think of like just everybody's mind would melt. Because not a single, I bet you anything, not a single person picked Josh Norris to win Rookie of the Year. Because I don't, last time I checked, I think he was like second right now in rookie scoring, if I'm not mistaken, last time I checked. But I think Stutzla is in like the top five or something. Okay, yeah. So for myself, like, and you're absolutely right, while we do follow the Sens on social media, the one thing for myself is I follow a lot. Norris is second, Stutzla is third. Oh, that's good. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then Kirill Kaprizov has got 19 points in 22 games. Where is Norris on that? He's got to be several points behind him, correct? Uh, Norris is at 15, Stutzla's at 14. That would be so sweet if one of the Sens won the Rookie of the Year because it would be the exactly 25 years since Daniel Alfredson won Rookie of the Year for the Sens. Yeah, no kidding. Who I think, if I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I think he was the last rookie of the year for the Senators, too, was Alfredson. Because, let's see, Yashin didn't win at 94. That was Bruder. So, yeah, it would have been Alfredson. Alfie would have been the, the first and only rookie of the year that we've ever had. That's such a... That's a weird thing to think about. But then again, it's like the Ottawa Senators haven't had, like, a number one pick since Chris Phillips. And while he wasn't a superstar, he definitely was a very, very sturdy presence in Ottawa. Oh, 100%. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to talk about the games. Now, we got three games to talk about. We've got the Flames versus the Sens, Sens versus the Canadiens, and the Sens versus the Flames. But before we do that, let's hit 
the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Flames versus the Senators. This is a 5 to 1 Senators victory. Flames goals are scored by Milan Lucic. Sens goals are scored by Drake Bathurst in the two, Artemisioff, Colin White, and Evgeny Dandinov. Shots were 36-28 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed Calgary for majority of this game. Both teams played a mostly uneventful first period before Ottawa got their game going in the second and didn't pull up. Calgary looked sluggish to start and were unable to generate much offensively. So, I will talk a little bit about this game because you know how, say, when you go to, like, pre-COVID, say you were to go to a bar and watch a game. You've had, you have people around you, you're not, you know, you're, yeah, you're watching the game, but you can't really, for myself anyway, you can't really retain much of what you're watching, because it's like, stuff happens, <laughs> you're kind of like, that's cool, but you're not following it with a lot of focus, you're watching it as a social event, basically, right, yeah, yeah. the way I look at it. This was kind of one of these events for me, because one of my friends that I work with, she's a big Calgary Flames fan, she's from Alberta. So, and she lives by herself, so we went, so I was over at their play, on her place watching this game because she invited me over, and so we're watching uh-huh. the game, and I was chirping her so bad watching this game. game. Shut up, Aunt Tim. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck her. You know what? You're just as bad as my parents, so fuck you. Anyway, no, so I'm over there. You're a dick. Anyway, no, so I was over there watching the game, and... It was funny because I'm, you know, she's a big Flames fan, and okay, I can see you in the monitor, so stop fucking laughing, you prick. Anyway, so I'm watching, I'm chirping her the whole game, and you know, it's funny because she's never, she's never seen a hockey game with me watching the Sens, so this was an all new experience, and a couple of things that really stand up for me. Number one, we were talking about. The Drake Batherson goal, the second goal where David Riddick passes it right to him. She was so pissed and was like, nice, great pass, David, and a boy. I'm chirping the heart the whole time. And when the Sens scored a goal, every time that song two came on, you're like, woohoo. I fucking did that. And she's just like, you are a dick. (laughs) Oh, God, that was funny. And then, of course, I'm just chirping her the whole night. It was so fucking funny. Oh, God, that was so good. So good. <laughs> oh my god. I know. But you know what? It was not a bad game. And this is a game that I had to go back and condense watch. Because I mem- I'm watching it going like... Do... I don't really recall what happened. I remember we won. I remember Batherson had a couple of goals. But for myself, it was just one of these games. Kind of like if you go to a bar. Kind of like if you're watching a game. Like I had to watch it and be like, okay, I have to retain information for this game. So let's start talking about the game a little bit. Drake Batherson, two goals on three shots, no question. Like he was Ottawa's driving force in this game. And like I said, I laughed so hard on that second goal. Fuck, that was so good. Because honestly, David Riddick, he couldn't have given Batherson a better pass. And Batherson didn't see him. He just saw he saw the pocket next to him. He's like, oh fuck, he spun around and shot it in. Oh, that was so good, so good. David Riddick did not look great. Nope. And I feel bad for the guy, but uh, I think he, he's quickly playing himself out of a job in Calgary. 
like the first Batherson goal was beauty. Yes, it was. He didn't look great on the Anisimov goal, to be perfectly honest. No, but the thing is for me is that Calgary didn't give him much support up front. Like their no. their legs just looked like they were skating in quicksand. Yeah, and like super- it was a sludge game for Calgary, and I think they just came. Like Ottawa was reasonably rested while Calgary was coming off a game the night before and playing four and three and four. That's going to be a theme, by the way. Uh, like, well, Ottawa, 50, 50 good shot attempts, uh, and most of them coming from the slot. Mm-hmm. So it's like Ottawa was getting really good opportunities, and the Sens definitely, they outplayed a really tired Calgary Flames. And you could tell the Flames just weren't into it, and half, like after the Sens ran a dominant second period... Both teams seem pretty content just to lay back for the third. Yeah, and I mean, for myself... And that's the funny thing about this game is I... While I don't have many notes on this game, honestly... To me, Batherson was easily the best player. I think that's a no-brainer. The other guy for me up front was Tim Stutzla. Two assists and one shot. And, you know, it's funny. For the attention that he gets for his shot, one thing I think that kind of gets underrated, and while can't remember what game it was where he had a lot of turnovers. I think his playmaking ability is kind of underrated. Because honestly, while... And it's just going to get better as he gets more used to the game too, eh? Exactly. And you know what? I really, really... I really did like Stutzel in this game, and I really wish that he could have scored in that. But, you know... You know, obviously, unfortunately, I already did the Stutzel, so that's pretty good. The only other comment I really got in this was Matt Murray. 27 saves, a .964 save percentage. Did his job, got the W. That's all you can ask. Yeah, it's like, he wasn't particularly challenged, but no. the few really good chances he saw, he saved, didn't give up a single goal and even strength. So, honestly, that was pretty darn good. Like, good game for Matt Murray. And uh, if you're not giving up a goal on 5-on-5, five five, that's a really good showing for a goalie. So kudos to Matt Murray. Second game of the evening, Senators versus Canadiens. This is a 3-1 to one Canadiens victory. Sens goals were scored by Artem Zub. Habs goals were scored by Brennan Gallagher, Corey Perry, and Tyler DeFoley. Montreal outplayed Ottawa for a majority of this game. Montreal started off outplaying Ottawa with brief spurts of both teams looking to be on even footing. However, the Canadiens completely took over, taking over and taking the W. Okay, so well, again, this is another game I don't have any, really any notes on. I, I will say this. I will give Montreal this because, again, the, ha- the Sens played the previous night. They had to fly to Montreal. So I, I will give the Habs the win. The big note I want to talk about, Joey Decord. 30 saves, a .938 save percentage. First NHL start. He looked really good in this game. Yeah, and dude got fucked by Eric Gabranson. The sequence that led to Montreal taking a 2-1, sorry, a 2-0 lead. Gabranson can't ice the puck. Doesn't get his man. And as Gallagher's scoring the scoring the goal, he high-sticks Gallagher in the face and draws blood. Which gives Montreal another power play, which Petri then goes on to score on. That's uh, what we in the business like to call a real veteran move. 
You know, I just realized that it was Jeff Petrie, and I'm just realizing now that it auto-corrected on my computer. So it said Perry, and that's why I said Corey Perry. Not Jeff Petrie, who did score the second goal in that game. Yeah. The only other guy I think I can mention was Brady to Chuck. Six shots in this game. It really sucks for Brady, because again, you're absolutely right. He is very snake-bitten, but I wish that he would actually be able to score. Especially when he has six shots. He's such a pain in the ass to the Habs, and I love it. This is a team, like the Red Wings, where he was just such a pain in the ass to him and such a pain in the ass to those goalies that... I don't know about you, and maybe I'm just kind of a minority on this one, is that I find... While I find more enjoyment when the Sens beat the Leafs, I think the games versus the Habs are a lot more entertaining to watch. And I'm not sure, maybe it's because... Well, it's because they're usually closer. It is. It is because it's closer, but also because there's always that element of you want to stick it up Toronto's ass, where with Montreal, you know you're going to get a close game, but you're going to get a competitive game. With the Leafs, it's either we dominate them or they dominate us. There is no in-between. Yeah, and it's like, it's funny because, like, they dominate us, you expect it. Yeah. When, like, something stupid happens, it's it's hilarious. Like 5-1! 5-1! It was 5-1 or Leaf Killer PRV. Ooh, no, you mean the Bud Buster Magnus PRV? Bud Buster Magnus PRV. Yeah, who's going to be their... Oh, wasn't it Tyler Ennis? Wasn't Ennis also a Bud Buster? Yeah, which is funny because he had played for the Leafs the year prior. Yeah. I wonder also, who... can that? we stop playing Michael Haley six fucking minutes a game? Yeah, and that was a comment that... AJ, you're killing I think me. some... I can't remember who it was on Twitter. Somebody made a mention of that too. It's just like, what's the point of playing him when he doesn't even fight? He doesn't fight. He doesn't bring a physical presence. He's just there. And he gets his, even when he does fight, he gets his ass kicked. Like, there's no nice way of putting how the fight in this game went. It was bad. I know. Well, you know. He got his ass handed to him. Well, the funny thing is, Tim, like, if you're going to play six minutes, at least do something good, like score a goal in the shootout and win second star. Or. Artem and Easy off last night. Yeah. Guy played, or what, six Chris minutes? Yeah. Chris Neal things, like, exactly. Or McGratton things. That two minutes of Chris Neal broke a man. I know, ended Kenner Gass's career, too. Yeah, like, if you're going to bring someone in to play, like, less than five, like, less than ten minutes of hockey, it better be the most goddamn impactful five minutes of my life. I know. I still love the fact that we had one of his family members as a teacher. Tanner really? Gla- Tanner Glass, yeah. Oh, Mr. Glass was Yeah, Tanner Glass yeah, Tanner crazy. Glass was related to him. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So Tim, do you just want to head off into the third and final game of the evening? Yeah, let's do her. Sens versus Flames. This is a seven to three Flames victory. Sens goes to scored by Josh Norris, Artemanesioff, and the return of Ryan Dezingle. Flames goes to scored by Dylan Dubé with three, Brendan Rich Brent Ritchie, Sean Monahan. Josh Levo, and Derek Ryan. Shots were 32-29 for Ottawa. 
Brett Ritchie opens the score for Calgary to make it 1-0 on a long breakout pass where he finishes with a one-timer. Dylan Dubé scores to make it 2-0. Josh Norris scores to get Ottawa on the board to make it 2-1. Sean Monaghan risks one top corner to make it 3-1 Flames. Josh Levo scores to make it 4-1. Dubé gets a second of the game to make it 5-1. Dubé gets the hat trick to make it 6-1 Flames. Artemidizov scores to make it 6-2. Ryan Dezingle gets his second goal, gets his first goal in his second tenure with the Senators to make it 6-3. And Derek Ryan scores to make it 7-3 Flames, which would be the final. So I had to condense watch this only because I was working, I am working on the first half recap for next week's episode, but also the local rock station in Victoria ruined the score for me. Because I wasn't yeah. following the game. I wasn't following the game. I wasn't checking Twitter or anything. And, well, fuck it. It was the Q. The Q ruined it for me like they do everything else because they suck. Yeah, and we had it on at work. And it says, the only game, the game tonight in Ottawa and Calgary. Ottawa's losing 5-1. to one. I was like, ah, fuck. Well, what's funny is uh, Ottawa starts to mount a comeback. It's quickly gone. But really, this is a game where... Calgary felt like they had to make a statement, and to some degree they did. Mm-hmm. Joey Decord, it was a rough open for him. Uh, he gets pulled pretty quick, and then somehow Matt Murray is worse. Yep. First note I have, 22 saves, .833 for Decord, a .636 for Murray. I got nothing. It's... The Senators' goaltending tandem has been bad. Period. All of our goalies have been bad. I think Joey Decord has probably had the best go of it. Yeah. But kinda... that is uh, not great. I miss the days of, you know, steady goaltending for the Senators. Yeah. Those were the days. You know what? I was thinking about this. You know, when we talk about how the Sens used to win games and would win the division and go to the Stanley Cup Finals like 15 years ago. Have we basically become that scene from The Simpsons where Grandpa is the the union breakers and he goes, one trick's to telling stories that don't go anywhere. Have we become those guys? You know, because we we used to win hockey games, which was the style at the time. We've attempted, we've become those people. This was this was a game that yeah it was a game Ottawa was coming in a bit tired but yep. at the same time it's a game they didn't really show up nobody looked good nope and yeah and I imagine that I I imagine Calgary might have played harder if they weren't up five one in the second yeah. Yeah, so it's straight up not a great game. But Calgary didn't win by enough, so their coach got fired. Lol. I know. And, you know, isn't that hilarious? Like, we were talking about that earlier, is that we don't even need to win games to get coaches fired. How do you feel Jeff Ward must feel? Actually, what's hilarious? Oh, I don't even know. You know what's really fucking funny, though, is uh, their game... The Ottawa Calgary game on Sunday night. Sutter's coaching via a freaking iPad. 
that one of the assistants is holding a. Oh god, that's funny. Like, imagine he's trying to do like his account, like kind of that old school uh, run him through the rigor type coaching, and uh, Monahan's like, oh, "I'm done with it." Click. Yeah, Monahan would just like you know how you have like an iPad, you have the little uh, button on the side for the <laughs> volume. He just turns it down. All you see is this. All you hear is this. Is this guy just yelling at us? Is this a screen yelling? At it's like, and I, I know that people might like scoff at this reference, but it's kind of like that one episode of The Big Bang Theory where Sheldon had the big, where he's like in his fucking room and they had the big robot with his fucking screen on it. That's kind of like what it reminded me of when I heard that. I was just like, that's reminded me until it basically could have just fallen down the stairs and it would have been funny. But. I do love the fact that, you know, the Sens don't even need to win games to get a coach fired. Like, how do you think Jeff Ward feels? The Flames win 7-3. The Flames are like, get your shit and get out, Jeff. <laughs> you have to wonder. You though. beat the Sens? Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. This Sens sicko stuff must be existential for uh, DJ Smith. Because he's walking around. Every time he, like, touches anything, a coach fucking drops. You have to wonder, is he thinking, at any moment it could be me? Or better, is he the sicko? Uh, if he was a sicko, he wouldn't be benching Eric Branstrom in favor of fucking Branson. Yeah, true. That, that is true. But you know what? It's brutal, man. So I guess the only two notes I got on this game outside of the goalies, Brady Chuck had an assist on six shots. I do love the fact he almost starts a fight with Giordano after Josh Norris scores. That's funny. I like that. The only other note, the only other note I have, the return of Dezingle. Ryan Dezingle, one goal on three shots. I don't know if you caught Dezingle's post-game comments he made afterwards because he's wearing the number 10, not the number 18. Can you guess what Ryan Dezingle's nickname is on the Sens right now? Tenzingle. Tommy. For Tom Pyatt. Oh, God. I, I read that on Twitter, and my first reaction was, Oh, my God. That's oh, a I name I haven't heard in a long time. How many senators on that team were around for Tom Pyatt still being there? Remember, Tom Pyatt was traded away for McKenna. Yeah. Hmm. Like, oh no, there can't be many left. No, there's got to be a handful of guys left, but. But like, I think it it's probably just Colin White, Chris Tierney, Shabbat, and Shabbat. Yeah. Because like realistically, oh, and Nick Paul. Yeah. Because like. I don't think no break. Yeah, break. Chuck was there. Tierney was there. Connor Brown wasn't there. No, because Pyatt was gone before CC was gone. Dad, like Dadanov, Stutzla, Norris, Batherson, no. Batherson, no. Dzingel, yes, and Isamov, no. Yeah, so majority of the team was not there. Is what we're trying to say. But yeah. I think for me, when I heard Tom Pyatt's name, the only other name that could have brought back really old memories of a name I haven't thought of would be Gabriel Dumont. Either that or Chris DiDomenico. Oh, Dito? Is this now just the Boucher Boys episode? Oh, or the ultimate 
My boy, Yerky Yokopaka. Yokopaka. <laughs> oh, God. That's hilarious. I totally forgot about Yerky Yokopaka, too, until we were just thinking about this now. But I think for me, if you were going, was it, what season was that? Was that season two when we had Dumont? I think that was so- season two. Something like that? Yeah. Like, I remember the comments we used to make? Times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think my favorite one is that the Senators got rid of Gabriel Dumont. Like, I think that was the first instant of Pierre Dorian doing his, you like this guy a bit too much. Let's get rid of him. Do you remember when we got him and everybody on Twitter thought he was that explorer from like the 1800s? <laughs> I forgot about that. That was hilarious. That's the only thing I remember with Dumont. I couldn't tell you a moment of him. I just remember he was like the Tom Pyatt's, like the CC's, like the Johnny Oduyas. Remember, remember when he was a Sen? Was he was Sen's Twitter whipping boy. To be fair, he sucked. Yes. Well, also... Remember Johnny Oduya when he was already a veteran defenseman when he was part of the Ilya Kovalchuk trade? Yep. That was 10 years like, ago. No, that was 11 years ago now. That was 2010. Johnny Oduya had some miles on his skates. Yep. By the time Ottawa acquired him. Yeah. Remember when Andy Sutton was the veteran defenseman coming to the Sens? You're saying you're an expert. I'm sorry. Were you asking me or were you telling me? You're telling me. Yeah. That's never not going to be funny. I know. And that's 11 years old now. Yeah. I know. Oh, God. I know. I thought me turning 29 made me feel old, but Jesus Christ. I know. But you know what's funny, though, Tim, is that the sense... like that being 11. Yeah. The sense... Send social media moments like that... It will never die between you're an expert, we're a team, Brady to Chuck's reaction to uh, Max Lajoie, uh, Borrow Cop. The oh. fucking Centurion. Centurion. Sorry, the Sense Spartan. Yeah. Um, the skits that Craig McDoglia used to do with uh, Dylan DeMello. What else is there? Like, there's just so many things that just will never be let go. Yeah. Actually, sorry, can I... I'm surprised I didn't mention this right off the top of the show, Tim. Can I give a quick shout-out to Craig Medaglia, Brent Wallace, and Mark Mathod? Because... Hell yeah. They have started their own podcast. The Wally and Mathod podcast. And yes, they're making our dreams come true by bringing back Craig Medaglia. Who, if... For I'm anybody, not a podcast guy, but I might have to give it a listen. For anybody who is wondering, for anybody who's wondering, listening to that intro that we just, which by the way, we did a new intro. I'm surprised we haven't mentioned that either. If you're wondering who did the yes, ha ha ha, yes, that's Craig Medaglia. That's from the Wally and Mathot show. As soon as I heard that, I said, yeah. I want to create an intro to include that because that is hilarious and I love it. Craig, oh, Greg would be great to have on the show, too. I'm surprised we haven't had him on yet. Oh, no. It'd be fun times, fun times. Yes. And uh, we still got miles on the road. It's true, man. That's true. So, Tim, I don't know if you have any more comments you want to make in this game until we head off into the close for another evening. Yeah, no. Let's close her on out. 
Awesome, let's do it. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also... Excuse me. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Holy shit. We're also on Twitter, at Third Line Plugs, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E, Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games... Top of the hour, or the fact that I just burped her in that fucking clothes. She was an email. Third like plus sense guys at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we've got four games for next week's episode. We've got the game last night in Calgary. Tonight's game, Wednesday's game, and Friday's game are all versus the Edmonton Oilers in Edmonton. So before we close out, Tim, can you give us a quick update on how the Sens and Oilers game is going this evening? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's all square after one, uh, one apiece. Gabranson uh, got himself two, five, and ten with a fight for Yuyar Karia after he beat the shit out of Karia for putting a pretty questionable hit on uh, Josh Norris. So uh, good on you, Eric. I don't really know why he got the instigator penalty there, though. Yeah. Well, I guess he kind of followed the guy and punched him a bit. Yeah. But, honestly, if you're going to beat headhunting, you got to pay. And the price is baby hands. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jackson. Go, Sam's guys.